dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sharing a webinar I attended about the Grandes Pagos de España. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, you know how much I adore Spain and its wines. The Grandes Pagos is equivalent to the Grand Cruise in France. After listening, if you are interested in attending a seminar, you can sign up for the GPE newsletter to receive updates about the Terroir Workshop and when and where you can join in person. Upcoming classes are in Los Angeles, Kansas City, and they are planning additional workshop classes in St. Louis and Mexico City. While you are listening, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review Exploring the Wine Glass. Taking one minute of your time is the only way the algorithms will suggest Exploring the Wine Glass to others. And since you are enjoying the podcast, other wine lovers will too. Enjoy. Slancha. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET Level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. For joining us for the Grandes Pagos webinar today. Thank you so much for joining us. We know that uh, we're going to go ahead and get started on time, let other people join um, in subsequent course. So um, I'm Helen Gregory, um, the founder, president of Gregory and Vine, and it is such a pleasure to have you join us for what has been um, almost a decade of work and, and thousands of hours invested in developing educational and workshop content for Grandes Pagos de España. So Natasha um, Mallory is our director, one of the directors and global um, brand ambassadors, ambassadors for Grandes Pagos de España for the Terroir Workshops, um, which is our new education uh, platform on a global basis. Maria Del Hierro, is the co-founder of Viñedos Alonso del Hierro in Rivera del Duero, and also the president of Grandes Pagos de España. Um, and, uh, and Alvaro Perez is the director of the Terroir Academy at Abadía Retuerta, um, DOP Abadía Retuerta. So before we get started, we wanted to um, we wanted to make sure to tell you a little bit more about what Grandes Pagos de España is. So here you have 35 logos for wineries, many of which I think you probably have seen or heard of before. Some may be less familiar than others. The organizing principle for Grandes Pagos de Sania, Tasha, if you just want to keep going. What do all of these wineries share? Is a, and ultimately it's a commitment to terroir winemaking and not just terroir winemaking, but to the culture of terroir in Spain. So quality is what every one of these regions, uh, every one of these wineries shares. So Grandes Pagos de España is a single vineyard um, organization. So strict membership criteria um, based on exceptional estate and single vineyard. First, a track record of industry recognition for more than five years. Um, rigorous inspection and quality testing, annual blind tasting, which means that this is not a tenured organization. 
once you join or become a member of Grandes Pagos and are accepted into the organization, you have to maintain those quality standards based on blind tasting evaluations by an independent tasting committee each year. Um, membership in the organization is becoming increasingly more and more difficult because it does require unanimous vote by all existing members to be to pass that final round. And membership will be revoked if a winery um, fails to meet the quality criteria and the standards of the organization. So that's a little bit about, um, about Grandes Pagos. Historically, the organization uh, Grandes Pagos de Castilla was, the, um, was at the foundation of what is today called Grandes Pagos de España. Grandes Pagos de Castilla in the Meseta North came together in 2000, founded by five estates. Um, to essentially recognize the emerging importance of single vineyard and Pago winemaking in Spain. In 2003, this preceded the actual formal designation in Spanish wine law of Vino de Pago. And there was a lot of collaboration between the original founders of Grandes Pagos de Castilla and the Spanish government to add single estate wines to national wine law. By 2004, Grandes Pago de España had been renamed and expanded beyond Castilla with 12 member estates, and today there are 35 wineries that are members of the organization. What, is that, what does that translate to in terms of production? It's still fairly a very, fairly small production when you think of the vast expanse of Spain and where, where all of the wineries are based, which is in eight distinct regions of Spain. And when we say regions of Spain, we're not talking about what we learned, the DO principle or model exclusively, we're talking about Green Spain, Meseta North, Ebro River Valley, Meseta Central, Catalonia, Mediterranean, the South, and the Islands. So Grandes Pagos de España aspires to present winemaking from a cultural and geographic perspective that is the way that the Spanish people think of their own cultural, geographic, and shared um, and shared ties. It is 100% single estate, estate small production, which means that it's not the winery that is a member, it's the Pago that is recognized as a member of the organization. Collectively, the acreage is not that big, um, but what is super exciting, and it's just a small glimpse, is the number of grape varieties, among other um, areas of distinction, that each of these, that the wineries are working with today. There are 28 red and 32 white, which I'm sure is much, much, a much far bigger lexicon of grape varieties than what we are accustomed to seeing in the textbooks about Spain, which might be 10 or 12. But this, uh, there's a lot of work to also preserve and identify heirloom varieties in addition to some of the very classic expressions of, of Spanish terroir. The wineries range in size. There are some, there are three that are less than 3,500 cases. You have a medium of about 17 that are around less than 16,000 cases and 15 that are more than 16,500. The criteria is not based on having just a small, small boutique production. You have some that are bigger production. Again, it's just based on the character and nature of terroir. So let's go move forward a little bit. We often get the question, what is the difference between Vino de Pago and Grandes Pagos de España? The Vino de Pago is the classification established in 2003 by the Spanish government. The legal requirements for Vino de Pago are primarily based on soil composition. GPE membership is, re requires much more. It is a track record of quality that is defined by benchmarks, yes, that include style, balance, terroir, and legacy, but often also adhere to sustainability, stewardship of environment, and cultural legacies, the people behind the wines. Not all Vino de Pago wineries are GPE members and vice versa. 
So they are different designations, but they are closely related. And there's been a long inter, uh, integrated relationship between the recognition of Pago by the Spanish government and the member wineries of GPE. Also important to note, and Natasha will touch upon this later as well, that there are, uh, that there's not, many of the wineries are not just a, a Pago winery. Of course, they also DO wineries. They might be making a Vino de la Tierra. So wineries can hold multiple designations. The Grandes Pagos de España designation is the one that recognizes single vineyard classification above all. So what are the objectives? The reason we wanted to come together today is that this has been one of the most exciting and busiest years of growth on a global scale for Grandes Pagos de España, and the primary driver of that has been education. This year in March, we announced the launch of the Spanish Terroir Workshop. The Spanish Terroir Workshop aims to um, essentially be a, an advocate for single vineyard winemaking from Spain around the world, and we are now launching all of our workshops in the United States. It is about an, an exchange of knowledge, not just with professionals, but also professionals in media, but also with consumers. Uh, terroir workshops launching uh, soon in um, happening, uh, have already happened in LA, Miami, now in the Midwest and in other parts of the country, are consumer, invite consumers into the experience and journey that Spanish wine is for many to, to impart information that maybe isn't classically being being shared. For example, it's not just about the geography, which of course is so important to understand wine, but also the culture that is a driving force behind so many of the wineries. The wineries um, are committed to sustainability on many different levels. We all know sustainability is a big tent. Some of the wineries are biodynamic, some are organic, some are all, I mean, all have sustainability initiatives. Um, at the conference we attended that included in, in this spring, that included the wine growers and viticultural teams, as well as the export directors and managers of the wineries, a huge touch point for all was climate change and responsiveness to climate change, the challenge that represents in Spain, of course, as it does around the world. And last but not least, it's about destination tourism and discovery. Not only are many of these wineries based in some of the most beautiful spots in Spain, um, but many also offer opportunities for wine lovers to discover Spanish wine at the source. We the, the first announcement we made this year was the Spanish Terroir Workshop. The second announcement we made this year was the nomination that um, of Maria Del Hierro as the new president of Grandes Pagos de España. So Maria, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Maria is um, the first woman to lead the organization since its history and inception, so which is exciting. And Tony Sarion, who is the former president, the president emeritus, in his, in his words, he's the founder of Bodega Mustegillo, um, really encapsulated what the definition, what, what's beyond that definition, textbook definition of Pago, and why the terroir workshop is um, is important to the wineries. It's, it's about identity. And every winery that all the 35 wineries that are members of GPE are have a unique identity that's based on geography, culture, and history. But ultimately, it's about the people behind the wines. And we're going to hear from some of those people right now. But we also want to reinforce now and at the end of this that we want to be a resource to connect all of you with the people behind these wines. The real challenges, the true stories that are defining and shaping Spanish wines today, whether that's in the cultural sphere, destination and travel, um, and most importantly, in the geography, the climate, and some of the challenges that wineries are confronting, and the ability that they have uniquely, perhaps more than any other organization of Spanish wineries in Spain, to connect with pretty much every touch point in Spain so that a winery in Mallorca can talk to somebody in Meseta North or somebody from, you know, in Galicia and discuss, discuss strategies 
collectively to overcome everything from viticulture to um, success stories and, be and best practices that can be shared to you know bringing in visitors and even bringing wine commercially into new markets. So um, we'll be sharing this presentation with you. Uh, and certainly, um, I think now we want to hear from the wineries. So Tasha, let's advance. And I want to hand it over to Natasha to talk about the terroir workshop, but maybe just one slide just to show you what the terroir workshop is. So the terroir workshop is a collective, um, talk about human achievement, 35 wineries um, all through Spain collect, came together to define a new organizing principle and paradigm for thinking about the terroir of Spain, the regions climactically, geographically, but also culturally that shaped the true dialogue about Spanish wines today. Um, these are four of our ambassadors, including Natasha, who have started to present the terroir workshop to consumers and to trade. What does it include? When you sign up for a terroir workshop, you get an extensive self-study guide, the pre-read, the digital textbook that talks about the politics, the culture, the landscape, the climate, but then guided classroom study and tasting. And then every single one of our wineries has also has an eight-page guide to discovering their terroir and what that identity is of, uh, of terroir culture. So I'm going to hand it over to Natasha to um, to lead the Q&A and the discussion with uh, with Maria, with Alvaro. And also, um, please remember to put questions in the chat. We'll get to all of them. And Natasha. Well, hello. Um, uh, thank you so much, um, uh, Maria and Alvaro, for being with us today. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, um, nice when we can find a, a, a time um, in the day where both Spanish time and U.S. time coincides, we can have you all live. And that's the beauty of these webinars, too. Um, Maria, I'd like to start with you. Um, you know, um, you are a, a newly elected president for Grandes Pagos. Congratulations. Um, this is um, about a 20, just over a 20 year old organization. And, you know, there's been a, a great evolution, I think, from from its beginnings uh, to where we are now. But can you tell us a little bit about what your vision is for the organization and, and, and a little bit what your objectives are? I'm, I'm glad to be here with all of you. And, and well, um, thank you, Helen, for this explanation about uh, Grandes Pagos España, because it was really exactly what uh, what uh, we wanted to 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 promote and to and to explain to every to everybody uh well uh grandes power de españa as uh, you explained very well uh, it has been uh, growing during the years and in in, in importance and in uh, really in people and in wineries and uh, i think uh, that uh, my mission uh, as a president is really to Consolidate this uh, uh, association that uh, has been uh, well, has been really uh, having a lot of importance in, in the last uh, years. And, uh, and then uh, I would like to to really to to continue to to grow in importance, uh, insisting on the single state uh, wines and, uh, and to attract to other wineries that are in Spain and that could be uh, inside the association and uh, I'm sure that uh, they will they will they will love to be with us because uh, uh, they could benefit of all the exchange of knowledge that uh, we can offer to for analogists 
for marketing, for the brand, for everything. And uh, and that's uh, what I'm going to, to try to to explain to everybody. <laughs> so I, I, how big do you think Grandes Pagos uh, could grow to be? I mean, there are still, I think, a few areas of Spain um, uh, that, that uh, don't necessarily have members. Um, what do you envision for that? Well, I think I think that uh, we are Spain is a is a very rich in in wine states and in in vineyards and and uh, there are a lot of uh, of, uh, of uh, states that uh, that uh, share our philosophy of uh, high quality wines from our own grapes and from our states and then. Uh, I would like to to have all of them with us <laughs> because union. I think union uh, uh, really is a strength. At the end, it's uh, it's easier to go to the U.S. and to show to to make a show of, uh, uh, of all the wines. If we are now we are thirty five, we are uh, we are enough wineries to to well, to 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 have attention. But uh, if we if we will be fifty, it would be better. But all of them have to share our philosophy. That's uh, really important. Um, so can you tell us? Um, we, we talked about a few of the um, entrance criteria for Grandes Pagos. Um, but one thing we didn't necessarily mention um, is that um, there's quite an exhaustive um, study that has to be um, uh, presented. Um, to to join and well, and what what criteria are you you looking for there? Well, uh, they have to be uh, they have to be really consolidated wineries. Uh, they have to to have been um, during uh, in the market during at, at least five years with uh, really. Uh, Really high scores from uh, from uh, critics and, uh, and national and international, and they have to and they have to 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 well to work the vines uh, in uh, the as a, as a, we we ask for all the wineries, uh, and they have to use their own grapes and and uh, that's uh, and I think I understand too um, that um, uh, you know they have to present very detailed soil studies um, yeah uh, climate studies and then there's actually a, a, a committee of Grandes Pagos um, which are is comprised of both managers and technical people that go and do inspections correct yeah and uh, and uh, at the end. Uh, they have to. We have a uh, a committee of uh, of uh, expert tasting uh, that that uh, they they taste the wines and they say if the wines are good enough for being part of the association. And that's the the, the final the final uh, way to to go. And then after if if they have good scores from these uh, tasters, then. Uh, uh, we present the winery to all the members of the association at the at the general assembly, and they have to to vote if they accept to be part of the of the association or not. 
Great. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, Vineros Alonso del Hierro. Um, tell us, um, I, when did um, your winery first become part of Grandes Pagos? Well, uh, we created the uh, Vineros Alonso del Hierro. It was really my husband's dream. He, he wanted to create something by his own uh, uh, related to the, to the wine because uh, we were we were really fascinated by this uh, world of wine, but we are not uh, uh, winemakers, or or we weren't <laughs> winemakers or or agronomists. But uh, it was our hobby. And then in two thousand and two, we bought twenty six hectares of vineyards, uh, Tempranillo vines, in uh, Ribera del Duero, and we started to to make wines. But uh, we looked for the best professionals for making the wines. Stéphane de Renoncourt in Bordeaux. He was uh, our consultant for the vineyards and the wines. And Claude Bourguignon, he analyzed all the soils that we had. And then uh, when you are working with these uh, professionals, you become immediately, uh, well, uh, ecological, organical, and, and biodynamic <laughs> because you understand perfectly well that the wine is made in the in the vineyards in the in the vines, and then uh, when uh, we uh, we uh, we launch uh, the wines into the market in 2005, and after five years uh, with uh, good scores from Parker and Timatin and other professionals, then we applied to 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 be part of Grandes Palos de España because. We share their philosophy at uh, 100%. So right. we enter into the sunset. Well, why don't we um, talk a little bit about the wine itself? Um, I, some people have received um, the uh, Alonso del Hierro 2017 um, uh, wines. Um, and tell me, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, we know that you have um, worked with Claude Bourguignon and identified um, uh, all the different types of, of uh, terrains that you have. And actually, um, I think I'll uh, share screens again, um, because we do have um, uh, a few um, uh, slides, actually, from our oh. presentation. Um, the um, um, but we have a few slides from um, our, pardon me one second, from our terroir workshop that I wanted to share with you all. But in the meantime, um, can you, uh, Maria, you, I know that you all have identified uh, certain pagos, certain um, crews yeah. within your own vineyard. Yeah, we have uh, the 26 sectors are divided in four big plots. All of them, the names are after our children because everything uh, the winery is related to the family, and uh, and then uh, when we made the, the the study from Claude Bourguignon, we subdivided the four big plots in thirty two small plots, and all of them are worked uh, well depending of the soils differently. Uh, and then uh, we selected two of these small plots that uh, that, that they are small pagos. Two of them for making the the selection uh, the, the the top wine that it's called that it's uh, Maria Maria's name and uh, and with the rest of the of the small plots we make Alonso Alero but we vinify separately by by this type of soil 
we make the, the final blend just when all the all the, 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 the different plots have been aging in the barrels enough time. It's a bit uh, like in Burgundy, and uh, and then uh, at the end of the of all the, the different soils, the sandy soils, clay soils, limestone, when all of them have been enough time in the barrels, not the same time, then we blend and we make the Alonso del Hierro, the wine that we are going to taste today. So, and, um, so this is a, a reflection of um, really your entire vineyard um, and, and you uh, blend kind of the best parts of uh, your entire vineyard. I, I did throw a few shots up there and I, I would say that um, you know, this is um, this winery is located um, in in Roa Ribera del Duero, so uh, um, further east um, in the Ribera del Duero region, and um, it, it's a, a chateau style winery. Uh, your vineyards mm-hmm. uh, surround the winery, um, a, a, which makes things a lot easier. And 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 there's a lot of wineries, very good wineries in Ribera del Duero that that source from um, various municipalities, um, but you obviously work with um, your vineyards that are right there at, um, uh, you know, around the uh, the winery. And, you know, I think a, a question a lot of people ask, um, you know, you belong to the Dio Rivera del Duero and you're very happily um, participate in the Dio Rivera del Duero. Um, so why do Grandes Pagos too? Well, uh, I think it's in it's independent one of, of the other. Uh, Rivera del Duero is a region, and I'm proud to be a part of Rivera del Duero uh, wines. And uh, but uh, Grandes Pagos España, it's uh, far away that uh, that is uh, it's more uh, it's it's a sign of uh, quality. And Rivera del Duero, it's, uh, I think it reflects not the quality, but the region. There are good, better, there are other wineries that have nothing in common with me. But in the, in the Grandes Pagos de España, we are a big family and all of us, we share same philosophy. And um, that's very, very... Um, I think I'll jump in and introduce um, Alvaro Perez from Avaria Retuerta. And we can, um, I can uh, find the uh, the slides here for um, uh, Abaria, and we can take a look real quick about um, at those slides. But Alvaro, um, can you tell us first um, a little bit about um, Abaria Retuerta? It's um, a very, very old property um, that has been uh, brought back to life. Is it as old as? Um as from the 12th century, it was uh, in 1146, some monks uh, decided to build a monastery uh, right upon the bunker of the of the land uh, that the Spaniards did to the to the Moors who invaded us and uh, they set a lot separate several monasteries around Castile and this is one of it. Obviously the the site, the enclave is 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 quite interesting. Is uh, around the Duero River. We are located in the in the heart of uh, of the Duero Valley. The Duero River is the same river that flows to Porto, Portugal. But, uh, we are way upstream. That means that uh, 
we are obviously high in altitude. And uh, I sometimes say that uh, we are the, one of the oldest wineries in Europe because uh, there were there were wine and vines uh, since the 12th century because these monks were coming from France and brought uh, their their stocks with, with, with them and, and their vines. And what we are just trying to do right now over these past years is, is trying to recuperate uh, this tradition and this legacy to the property. And I believe we are, without sounding pretentious, we're doing a good job. And um, uh, there's a, the, the monastery has been converted into a 12th century, sorry, into a, into a five-star hotel. And uh, there's a one-star Michelin restaurant also. So wine tourism is, is a key asset for for our, our property. And uh, sometimes I say that this is the most uh, splendorous times for, for Abadia de Tuerta, uh, but we still even have uh, room to, to improve this now. So basically we brought, to, uh, brought back the, basically into the landscape, the pine trees, the vineyards and the, and the historical building. And, and that's around our 700 hectare property, which I okay. al always define as, as a forest with some vineyards. <laughs> so um, you are um, within the Duero Valley. Mm -hmm. You are um, west of Maria following the Duero River. Um, I, but yet Abadio de Tuerta um, was outside of Dio Ribera del Duero for many years, and yep. but now is um, uh, you have uh, recently within the last year, I believe it is, um, been awarded uh, Pago uh, Vino de Pago status, and you are now um, DOP Avaria Retuerta. That's right. Yes, we have our own DO right now. We were granted uh, last year. Uh, we've been working on that for many years, but uh, uh, yeah, we we basically wanted to stand out uh, the way we were working in Abadia for many years. It is true that we tried to join Rivera del Duero at the beginning, but um, we were told gently uh, that this could not be possible because they couldn't open the doors to, to everyone uh, on all frontiers because we, are, we were right at the, at the edge of the, of the borderline of Rivera del Duero. And, uh, and now we, we continue to do the things as we think we, we should do, uh, with basically maintaining the style of our wines uh, so that the, the wines or, or the label, the one which is behind the label can tell vintage after vintage that it's coming from, from this place, the essence of the place, yes. So Pago Negralada, we've actually got the word Pago there in the uh, name of the wine. And I'm going to uh, clarify one quick thing that's also a, a question we get quite a bit. So uh, uh, Pago in Spanish more or less means crew, uh, like in French. Um, and uh, the um, there are many wines um, that use Pago in their name. And if they were using Pago in their name prior to 2003, they are allowed, they are grandfathered and allowed to continue to use the word Pago in the name of their wine. 
Um, anything past 2003 now, um, uh, unless you are a vino de pago, um, you cannot use that uh, word in the name of your wine. Um, Pago Negralada, um, you have several Pago wines. Um, as a matter of fact, a single vineyard um, uh, wines that are um, uh, monovarietals. Um, yep. And this is a monovarietal Tempranillo. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how the terroir, how your terroir is reflected uh, in this wine? And now a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club's books dog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers, the Sweet 16, where you will receive three bottles twice a year and get 15% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 20% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year, or make it to the final four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 25% off purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to the bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinowines.com to use the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stopped the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. Well, we do a lot of research in terms of, um, of uh, viticultural winemaking uh, over the years. We've, we've learned a lot. Uh, we've gotten a lot much more experienced. And, and vines are getting, you know, more and more adapted to the place. And what we have learned is that uh, now with the climate change, uh, the several pagos or plots that are better suited to certain varietals. And in this case, Pago Negralada is definitely where we get the best expression of our Tempranillo. It is where the purity of Tempranillo comes from. It is very close to the Duero River. Uh, it is in the lower part of the valley, which paradoxically it is the coldest uh, part of the property. is two degrees Celsius less than than up in the slope, um, because you know heavy. I mean, uh, colder air is heavier than, and sort of settles down in, in the lower parts of the valley. Adding to this, uh, the phreatic level of the water tables. Uh, are sort of close to the surface, only three, three and a half meters. That means the roots are already there uh, because uh, these, these vines are 30 years old. So this, in a way, they can manage very well themselves in terms of um, uh, water disposal. And adding to that, also late in the, in the growing cycle, uh, when the nights are getting, you know, sort of longer and longer, late August, beginning of September, we started to get some morning dew um, very close to the river, which helps a lot uh, when the vines are a little bit tired from the from the hot summer uh, to really finish up maturation very nicely. So basically, we we get uh, our grapes from Pago Negralada. It is. Um, 16 hectare plot divided into four. And uh, we 
we do individual winemaking of all those four subplots and uh, we decide which is the one that really better reflects the style of the of the wine and also this the the little the touch of the of the vintage as well because um, we are i wouldn't say obsessed but uh, we care a lot about uh, you know maintaining the style of the wines uh, of each wine but also obviously if you're making terroir based wines the climate should be reflected the vintage should be reflected as well well it's all these little details um that count uh, obviously in 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 making these kind of wines um, I'm going to now, you know, <laughs> I like I like reverse ordering the tastings and starting with reds and then going to whites because, you know, it really shows you the quality of a white if it stands up after reds. Um, so uh, we're going to go backwards here a little bit because um, I know uh, some people received um, uh, a wonderful wine from um, uh, Ria Spicious uh, from the winery Fiaboa. Um so we're going to, uh, I was uh, uh, going to back up here um, and talk about that property. Um, it is um, right on the Rio Minho there, right on the uh, border of Portugal in Rio Spicious. Um, and uh, I think many people probably understand that um, in general, Rio Spicious is um, a, a lot of very small plots, what they call mini fundio. So it's it's a lot of, um, in fact, the average plot size is less than a hectare, and it's a lot of families farming. So a lot of um, wines coming from Rio Spicious wind up being um, from many different parcels spread out uh, among maybe uh, one subregion like Val um, or across even the subregions, um, and it can come from, from other areas. Via Boa um, actually has one of the largest extensions of vineyard um, in all of the uh, denomination of origin, Rio Spicious. They are located in Condado do Tea, and I think that makes um, something, uh, makes these wines very special. Um, so yes, they have identified many different plots within their uh, vineyard extension, um, but, and in fact, they do have a, um, a, a single vineyard uh, wine or a single plot wine that's called uh, Selección Finca Monte Alto, um, but the rest of Fiaboa, uh, the, the um, uh, Fiaboa Cuvée, the normal one, is, is obviously made from um, several of these uh, different plots, but within a single vineyard. And, and that's just very, very unusual in Rio Spicious. Um, I'd also point out that uh, this is, they're based in Condado de Tea. And for me, this is such a reflection of um, their position there, a little bit further away from the Atlantic, very close to the Minho River, as you can see in this photo. Um, and it, it, it just, winds up having this balance um, that so many wines um, uh, in the Condado area have. Um, so they have the wonderful acidic soils that help give um, Albarino, which is already um, has a certain acidity to it. it. It just kind of reinforces that lovely acidity. But since we're in a little bit or a warmer area of Rio Spicious, um, it really gets the 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 ripeness um, th that helps balance out a lot of that acidity, um, and it just makes these wines um, have so much uh, uh, fruit weight and so much material. 
um, that it really um, makes it these wonderful aging wines. And that's one of uh, Fiavoa's um, innovations is to make uh, Albariño wines that withstand the test of time. Um, this one, as you can see, is rested on the lees for six months. Um, and they see an, a positive evolution in the bottle uh, for up to three years with this wine. Um, their Selección Finca Monte Alto, um, the uh, recent vintage of that had 24 months on the lees, um, and it doesn't see any oak. And that wine um, is able to um, age much beyond even that. Um, and I think that's one of their um, uh, great objectives is to, to make these wines um, that will evolve um, over quite a long period of time. Um, and that's just, uh, you know, they're one of the first uh, wineries in um, Rias Baixas to have started experimenting um, with this. Uh, Isabel Salgado, the winemaker, um, is really skilled with using the lees um, uh, to get these results, to get the complexity in the wine. Um, and obviously the lees also give the wine a stability that allows it um, to age. You can see also, um, obviously, Rio Spicious known for um, their extremely uh, wet and rainy weather. They have the um, uh, the granite, sandy textured granite soils that allow for the drainage that's necessary. Um, and they also cultivate a good part of their vineyard um, with the uh, the para, the pergolas um, that hold the vines. Uh, two meters up off the soil to um, allow good wind circulation, keep the uh, the vine health, and of course to expose the grapes um, horizontally uh, to the sun. Um, so I hope everybody will uh, get a chance to try Fiaboa, um, an absolutely uh, uh, splendid, um, uh, very very um, uh, varietal uh, Albarino. Um, and then we can talk um, about. Uh, uh, Val d'Espino, um, and we'll take a trip down to Jerez. Um, you can see this big white patch um, on the map there. Um, the Alboritha soils uh, in, in concrete. Here we go. This is actually a photo of um, Marcharnudo, um, Marcharnudo Alto, um, the higher part of the Marcharnudo vineyard. Um, this is one of the most famous vineyards in Jerez. It's been identified um, as a very special vineyard for centuries. And um, Valdespino is one of the very few wineries that um, have vineyards within Marcharnudo. So this vineyard is very much like um, uh, in Bordeaux. There are multiple owners um, and cultivators within the Marcharnudo vineyard. Um, and Valdespino is one of the last um, uh, or only wineries in um, uh, Jerez making a single vineyard, Fino and Amontillado. Um, and they are the only ones that are barrel fermenting their um, wines. Uh, so this Fino um, is, is barrel fermented, uh, obviously comes from this single Marcharnudo plot, this absolutely beautiful Alvarita soil. And what's so special about Marcharnudo um, Alto is also its orientation. Um, so it is facing south and west. Um, so it's more orientated um, towards the Atlantic part of um, southern Spain rather than the Mediterranean part. 
So the warm winds come from the Mediterranean and really um, uh, add fire uh, to the uh, to the situation, adds fuel to the fire of the heat that they have down in Andalusia. Whereas the cooler winds that come from the Atlantic um, help cool the vineyards down, um, and that's what makes this parcel um, so special. Um, the other part, important part of Valdespino is their Velo de Flor that these Finos and that their um, wines are aged with. Um, that is very much a part of their terroir. Barrels, um, the, the botas that are used um, for um, the aging, for the uh, soleras um, of the Fino um, are so impregnated as is their um, their almacén, um, their their warehouse where they keep the barrels, um, and that is um, they have their very own um, very special cultures um, that create these this velo de flor. In fact, it is such a robust velo de flor that it is able to live um, for a ten years, um, and there are not very many um, uh, velos de flor that can last that long. Um, and in fact, uh, it, it, this fino does have um, typically 10 years of um, soleras and criereras, which is so much more than, um, you know, the two or three years that most finos have. Um, and because this um, uh, velo, uh, they, they have the, um, this velo lasts for so long, um, that it, it, it dies eventually on its own for lack of nutrients. Um, and then they don't actually have to add um, uh, or encabezar um, their finos to become amontillados. So that's very special. Um, both the fino and the amontillado from Valdespino are Grandes Pagos wines, since they are um, a single vineyard from Marchanudo. Um, so as you can see, it's just um, a, a very singular vineyard and a very singular wine uh, that we have um, from Valdespino. So, Tasha, I just want to take a minute because I know we're just about to go into some, uh, talk about some trends, but there was a question in the chat. They do not all have to have the same soil composition. I'm just going to go ahead and say absolutely not. As you can see, these are, it is not about soil composition. It's about the expression of terroir. So the soil compositions from Albariza to the granite soils of Albariño to the, the wonderfully complex soils of the Meseta North are all going to be very different. So it's uh, so the Pago designation is not about a singular type of soil. It's about the expression you get from that particular vineyard. And of course, soil is a big part of that. Um, another question we got was a single winery can have a single wine that is Grandes Pagos while other wines fall under other designations. Tasha, is that something you want to just comment on now? In the context sure, uh, uh, of, for example, I think you've just, you've explained a couple of examples already, but the question was a single wine, can a single winery have a single wine that is Grandes Pagos with other wines that fall under other designations? Yes, absolutely. And um, I, this, um, Maria spoke before about this independent tasting committee, um, and I would um, I, I absolutely reinforce that fact. These are, um, and in fact, there are rotating um, uh, professionals from Spain here that make up that independent tasting committee. They taste completely blind. They do not know what they're tasting. Um, and so these wines have to be qualified. Um, so even if they qualify to be a Grandes Pagos wine and come from a single vineyard, um, they may not make it because 
it may not reflect the terroir. And that's one of the primary uh, primary criteria that that independent case, uh, tasting committee looks for. Is this reflective? You know, does this wine have character and is it uh, reflective um, of where it comes from? So um, I, yes, a winery can very much have um, a one or two wines that are in Grandes Pagos and then several others that are not. Well, I think, uh, thank you, Tasha. So it's pretty hard to choose between 35 wineries you know, which wines are going to be representative. And these wines are really meant just to show you a little bit of the thinking, the depth. And as Maria, as Maria explained, this shared philosophy um, that the wineries have, which is to make wines that uh, in, in many, in many parts of Spain um, that are, um, that are very much kind of the indicator of what the, what the, what the, of realizing the full potential of the Spanish, the Spanish viticulture and terroir. So I know we're going to move on to just a, a few minutes here of asking Oliver a few more questions about some of the trends to watch. Um, I just want to share one thing, which is a friend of ours recently reminded me that Spain is the size of Texas. And, and here we are, <laughs> here we are talking about a country that has, we articulated eight regions we wanted to look at as part of the terroir workshop. But I, I can I can guarantee that consumers coming into the terroir workshop and learning about Spain um, are absolutely just uh, overwhelmed and just so interested in the unique regional culture, the distinction of geography, culture, that and people behind these wines, which are just such an interesting piece of teaching people not just not just about wine, but about terroir culture. So um, Tasha, and I'll, I'll let you kind of maybe explore some of those themes with Alvaro. And then as we're talking, please feel free to populate the chat with questions you would like to have answered. I know, Lori, I think we have, we sort of answered the question that you had about, about, the, uh, about quality and the criteria. We can answer that also. We can actually show you some of that the extension, uh, how extensive that quality and criteria and the reporting that has to go into to, for membership for a GPE. But Tasha, I'll hand it back to you. And please, again, put your questions in the chat. We want to make sure we get to them today. Um, so Alvaro, one of the um, absolutely wonderful aspects um, uh, about Grandes Pagos, and in fact, I've had several wineries tell me it's one of the main reasons why they've joined, um, is the exchange of information between the wineries. And I know there are several formal um, meetings each year between um, uh, the uh, uh, winemaking staff and, and vineyard staff. Um, and they, they, they do talk with one another. Um, and you're very much involved with that a lot of times. What are you hearing um, uh, lately? What what are wineries excited about? I, I you know we, we've talked a lot about climate change and and we know that's a big worry and and there's a lot of talking back and forth about climate change and how to address it in the vineyard, how to address it in the winery. But what are wineries uh, talking about about uh, apart from that? What what are they excited about? Well, obviously, yeah, we we, we do a, a, a huge get together once a year. But uh, we do exchange information throughout the year uh, between all the wineries. And it's, it is about the, the most ex exciting part of the year, I would say. Um, uh, is, it is not just us, because we also bring some experts and, and, uh, in. Uh, so we discuss these topics that we sort of concern us in a way or, or challenge us in a way. Obviously, climate change is, is one of the big topics. But how to manage climate change is 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 the issue. Uh, how soils get into into play? How water retention in the soils? Uh, 
it is important. Um, we also are now talking a lot about uh, irrigation uh, and how to use it because irrigation it was uh, it's been forbidden for many years because it was mainly used to increase production, but now it's it's used on a, on a, in a different way. It's just uh, I like to call them survival irrigation uh, and um, and uh, how how to how to irrigate and when and how much it is it is the question and we we've been we do like I said uh, doing a lot of research on this topic and uh, we openly say that we do this kind of irrigation when it is we're reaching these peaks of uh, forty degrees uh, that is becoming very common right now and uh, and also we are not getting as much rain during the winter and autumn so we're not getting our water tables filled up so we are now also developing a new let's say new style of irrigation which is uh, I call it sustainable irrigation which is taking advantage of the water from the Dora River in February March when we see there's not enough water in the soils we try to add this water from the river into the soils and and why sustainable because this water eventually will probably run will run down uh, through portugal into the atlantic ocean so at, at the end we're taking advantage and trying to use this water before it goes into the ocean um obviously I I was going to say, pardon me for jumping in, but I think another thing that um, I, I've heard going around a lot, too, is um, the excitement about um, uh, native uh, grape varieties, uh, recuperating native grape varieties. I know, for example, Abadia Retorta has spent a lot of time. Um, you have an experimental vineyard with uh, over 30 different varieties, I believe. and you, But you've also located um, a, a, almost a semi wild uh, tempranillo on the grounds, yeah. right? Yeah, it, obviously varietals is, is is another point of discussion. Actually, we ended up in, in the last meeting without calling them native, but local, because local at, at the end, <laughs> that's right. at the end uh, it is what really performs well in your terroir. It's what you should be keeping and what you, what you should be sort of... Uh, cultivating and, and performing. And, um, and uh, yeah, for example, Abadia Retuerta, DOP. Uh, sometimes I get the, this question asked is, how, what, what are the varietals of, of your DO? We are, we're actually growing more than 25 varietals because especially, obviously Tempranillo is more than 50%, which is our signature uh, or identity uh, uh, in, from the Douro Valley, but we also uh, planted Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot specifically in the 90s when these foreign varietals were called uh, mejorantes or, or improvers. Um, um, but now all what is coming from from outside is not is is, is something that is not wanted. Huh? This there's many trends, and, and, and at the end, our Cabernet Sauvignon. From Pago Valdebellon, it is now performing way different from as, as 30 years ago. So this is what uh, we call a local variety now. That's a specific Cabernet Sauvignon, which obviously is not a varietal from Spain, but 
in, in our Pago Valdebellon performs in a way that is has adapted to our continental extreme climate, to our droughts, to our uh, fox in the winter, and uh, and is 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 giving us the, the wine that that we like. Uh, but obviously, uh, we use around ten varietals uh, as a majority of, of the varietals that we use, and and the rest are under study uh, because with all the climate change, uh, what we are seeing is that um, there's some difficulties now with the heat to maintain acidity, and we are focusing on these uh, varietals that retain acidity and give us this fresh fruit and this freshness to the wines. And uh, actually we're now even creating new wines uh, in Abadia de Tuerta that are more linked to these times, I would say, to, to the new climate context. And uh, we are very happy with the results. And, uh, uh, but we are not forgetting about our classic wines, and we are still uh, work with them. Uh, but ideally, um, what we are doing is managing, especially in viticulture, differently, managing different things in the winery, trying to maintain the style. Because temperatures are so different, uh, we get no rain almost. So if we do nothing, probably the wines are going to be way different from the ones in the 90s. Uh, so what we're trying to do is sort of uh, mitigate this effect, you know, uh, managing viticulture in a different way, shading the grapes, um, helping with a little bit of irrigation wisely. And and this way we're maintaining, in in a way, the style of Abadia Tuerta, but obviously, like I said, uh, uh, backing up with the with the touch of the vintage. Uh, Tasha, since we're about we're kind of closing down on time right now, there was a question I want to make sure we get to, which is, um, I, do wine lovers even why should wine why do do we even think wine lovers will care about you know about why you know why why do this? And I want to address that question because I've been working in the Spanish category since the late nineties. And it has always been very difficult to find an organizing principle to help Americans understand the complexity of Spain, of, of Spanish terroir and everything that is available. Um, and we have always tended to approach it from one DO to another. Um, and even after 20 years, there was a recent study that was presented just a few weeks ago by wines from Spain and the government of Spain. There's only three or four DOs that are recognized by, let's talk trade first, consumer second. So imagine if you're a consumer who wants to discover something new, what, how do you go about that? How do you go about finding, and you're somebody maybe who's really understands Burgundy already and Bordeaux or, or wonderful Italian wines. And the Grandes Pagos de España, as has been articulated now several times, is about, is about going beyond the culture of just understanding one DO and hop, skip and jumping from one DO to another, but looking for a group of wineries that share the principles of stewardship of environment, creating wines that are super expressive of terroir, extraordinarily unique places, often being the most biggest innovators. Um, I loved your word, Alvaro, for improvers from other places. <laughs> today's generation of Spanish true viticultural and Spanish winemaking innovation is coming from inside of Spain. And we have a lot to learn from that. 
But we also, in the same process, want to educate and offer a way for consumers to find the wineries that are really about terroir expression, the same way that you would, for example, if you looked for a wonderful importer organization that shared the same similar philosophies in other parts of the world. So that's a um, I, that's a long explanation, but uh, we are launching the terroir workshop for consumers who just want to dig in and get to know Spain and get to know the people behind these wines, the places that shape the culture of Spain, and to provide them with some insights into that maybe go a little bit that, you know, challenge what we have learned for the past, certainly in my case, for the past 20 years. So that was one question um, that was in the chat, and I wanted to make sure that we address uh Okay, so this is actually Lori. This is a question from Lori, which I think, again, we're talking, um, we were in Mallorca and probably spent about an hour on one question debating, should we call it native or local? And the definition was, no, it's local. Because if you take Tempranillo to Mallorca and it were to prosper Mallorca, eventually, as Alvaro said so so well about his Cabernet, over 30 years of growth, now it, it becomes a local variety. It doesn't really, does it matter that it wasn't indigenous to the region? No, but there is of course a strong movement to also preserve so those heirloom varietals that do so well in local terroirs. So can an international variety be classified as a Pago or does it have to be indigenous slash, you know, indigenous? Natasha? Since um, uh, he mentioned his Cabernet Sauvignon uh, Pago about. Valdebayon, and and that certainly is a, a Grandes Pagos wine. Um, it is allowed, obviously. Actually, you can grow in Spain grape varietals that are approved to, to grow in Spain, which is no more than 100 reds and, and less than 80 whites. So not that many if we compare to all the varietals that, that uh, we have, uh, I mean, the worldwide. But... Um, um, yeah, I think um, yeah, well, you, you can you can use whatever you think it is suitable for your for your wines and your style. There's another interesting question here about uh, Tasha. I think this comment from John came when you were mentioning that um, how certain label the label you know can have the term Pago in it. You know, pre two thousand three, if that was used for the description and protocol naming labeling of a wine. Um, and the question was, how do you tell if that wine is part of Grandes Pagos? There's, there's, a, there's a huge confusion here. Um, yeah. And uh, even even for Spaniards, uh, I mean, uh, this this law came in 2005, I think. Um, and uh, the thing is, uh, they created the Pago designation, which is basically like uh, more linked to territory, usually for a single producer, uh, DO designation. Um, and uh, and then the wines that were using the term Pago before the law was created were allowed to maintain their status to to keep on maintaining their brands that they were registered before uh, the vino de Pago as a law was registered. So there's many wines that are not classified uh, classified as vino de Pago or no Dio, like uh, I don't know Pago Capellanes, Pago Carrabejas, but uh, they're not either into the Grandes Pagos España Association, which is another thing to add a little confusion to, because Grandes Pagos is a is a private association, and uh, you don't have to be a Vino de Pago to be inside the Grandes Pagos. You can even be an uh, IGP or Vino de la Tierra, the, or just the Rioja or or the Rias Baisas. What you need to do, I mean, to have as as a, as a wine to become part of Grandes Pagos is first to be approved, 
by all members, and then share this this terroir philosophy to produce wine. And I think I think that that's such an important point. But there are some conversations happening within Granos Pagos España about ways to obviously promote who the members are. You know, the same way as if you would turn that label over and say, "Oh, I, I absolutely love this importer and what they stand for." And this is going to be a good wine, even if I haven't had it before. There is, yes, or this would be a wine I'm going to. I know what the philosophy is because I know who this importer is. Um, so this is a, a work in process for us. Our terroir workshop is very much about spreading, you know, the, the gospel of single vineyard and terroir winemaking from a Spanish perspective. And I will note that that is not typical. That is not how we have approached Spanish wines historically. And Maria, I think you're, I, I don't know if you wanted to just kind of comment on that, but this is something that you have been so, you know, really kind of clear about in terms of really, pro, really projecting this image of identity through terroir and what people and the anticipation of what that wine can be. I always say that, uh, that uh, for me, uh, the name Grandes Powers de España, the meaning in Pagos of this, uh, of this name is really the terroir. It's the uh, grandest terroir of Spain. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's not the the legal term of uh, Pago in Spain, but uh, just the terroir. All our wineries, all our state, all of them have the wines from their own terroir. And mm -hmm. that's uh, what uh, we have we can explain to everybody that uh, that uh, it's really the the most important thing of Grandes Power de España is really the diversity. You can find other other states absolutely different. You can have the own powers like uh, Abadía Retuerta, other states uh, that that own to Rivera del Duero or to other 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 uh, regions, but all of them share the quality and all of them share the uh, their personality. The wines reflect the 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 soils that uh, were when where the wines were cultivated, and then uh, that uh, I think it's the, the the really the well the most important thing to explain to 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 everyone. I think with that we're going to to wrap it up, but also just remind everybody that we are here to respond to questions and to connect you with these, these fantastic wineries. We have all barely scratched the surface of what these 35 wineries have to offer. Um, but at any point, if we can support your, you know, your search for information and connect you to the, to the, uh, to the talent behind these wines, especially, and to the wines themselves, please let us know. Um, our terroir workshops are so exciting. The consumer response has been wonderful. Uh, we are just getting started there too. We will keep everybody here posted on where these workshops are taking place. And if it isn't a market that you are close to or in, you are invited to participate and attend. We'd love to have you. I think uh, with that, I just want to say just a great thanks to Alvaro, to Maria, to Natasha, and to all of you for joining us um, on this journey into Spanish terroir culture. Best wishes for the great holiday season ahead, and we look forward to keeping in touch, and we will let you know how the Terroir Workshop's uh, calendar evolves. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. 
Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha.